Hey, Pampin. Yo, yo. I've been thinking about uh, language. Oh, really? Like how we communicate with each other, how words have meaning, and how we use these different meanings and different things to kind of like, you know, get across subtle ideas? I was thinking about swears, but that's a really good topic. I think we need to talk about it. you guys are here with us listening to yet another episode of we need to talk i'm joined by uh the co-host here nathan how you doing pepin doing pretty good fantastic and we have brought back special guest chelsea how are you chelsea i'm doing great if you could uh in the mix here just like throw in like a sound effect right before i say your name or right when i say your name and then that'll just give it a little bit of oomph is it going to be, like, clapping or, like... Oh, you'll make the right decision, Nathan. Okay, fist bumps it is. Unicorns. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Unicorns <laughs> fist bumping. That's it. <laughs> so, um... So, uh, the, the topic here, you know, we kind of teased it at the last one. We're getting pretty good at doing that, is uh, language. Now, I'd love to see where... What exactly you were... You were talking on here nate what you what you have to say about language and where you want to go something i like thinking about is how language actually impacts our lives and how certain things are really easy to say and certain things are really hard to say and how languages kind of have that kind of aspect themselves like i'm thinking about like the olympic games where i was listening i was watching the what was that sport where they post like those things across this floor like with curling Mm -hmm. so uh, so i was watching ice shuffleboard yeah, I was watching that, and it was interesting because the announcers were talking and about this Japanese team, and they're pointing out why they actually spoke in English instead of Japanese, and they're saying it's actually easier to communicate all the curling cues to each other in English because Japanese is really hard to say what they want. And it got me to thinking, like, what about, like, war and stuff like that? What if certain languages are a little better for communicating, like, tactics and strategy and giving commands? Maybe certain languages, you know, when someone's giving a speech, it sounds very grandiose and great. Where other languages, it's just very kind of inconvenient to kind of say, we are great, because they say, we together here now in this room are great. An interesting um, thing that I found was the difference between the French national anthem and the American one. Uh, I remember having a game where you had to, I was with a bunch of different uh, countries or people from different countries and we were playing a game and at the beginning of each game, some, one of the countries had to like say their national, uh, sing their national anthem and the French one was like so reboiced and it felt like we were going to war, like it was just amazing and then it was me and this one other American kid and we had to sing our song and it's not, it, <laughs> you can't do anything with the American national anthem. Is so, uh, is that ironic that the French national anthem sounds like going to war? I don't know. <laughs> well, the French were pretty warish back in the day. Mm-hmm. Napoleon and stuff, and there's all the uh, was the Hundred Year War between them and Britain. Mm. Now I want to know. I know Chelsea, you've done quite a bit of traveling um, around the world, and it's definitely something that uh, is very important to you. I know that. Can you give me a little bit of background on what sort of language-related um, 
things you've learned as far as different languages, et cetera, et cetera? Um, what I learned, I mean, I learned a lot, but it's one of the more funny stories about the, um, what would the word be? It would be like the, the funny things that happen when there's a language barrier. Um, but when we both speak English, and so I was in Australia for one year, um, and then I spent um, six weeks in Bali, Indonesia, and four weeks, or no, two weeks in Vietnam. And, um, so in all these different places, I had to, like, deal with a lot of different, like, languages coming at me. But one of the more funny things that I thought did a great job at illustrating, um, how you can be talking the same language with somebody, but not understand what's happening, is I was a au pair for this one family, and we were getting ready to leave the house, and so she looks at me, and she's going out into the car, and she's, and we're both in the car, actually, and she looks at me, she's like, oh, can you please go grab my purse off the bench? And to you guys, that means a, like, bag, a handbag off of a sitting area, like a bench. So I walked into her house, and I'm, like, looking around, didn't see anything. And I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. So I walked back out, and I'm like, you don't have anything like that in there. And so she gets mad at me. She's like, no, it's the purse on the bench, Chelsea. And so I walk in, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about anymore. Like, there is no bench. There is no purse. And then I walk back out, and I tell her that. And then she's like, no, the thing that you put your money in on the thing that the sink is in. And so the bench is a countertop, and the purse is a wallet. Yeah. I could see that being a thing. I mean, it's very unusual, though. The wallet, I understand. I, I, I would probably, if there happened to be a wallet on like a, a bench or a seat or something, something, I would probably understand that. But mm-hmm. the, the double issue there is that's what she caused said, the confusion. She said the wallet on the bench. You could have been looking for a wallet, but you were looking for the wrong thing in the wrong place. Exactly. For them, their words for a bench means countertop, and their word for um, purse is a wallet and their handbag is a purse and you can kind of see how they might have those different words because you know what's a purse but kind of like a wallet maybe mm-hmm. a bigger wallet so you could see maybe purse is coming coming wallet over time and similarly you know like a you think of like a bench you sit on but you could also think of like a workbench which is kind of up higher and i think that's where it came from because it's just all these little itty bitty things that happened and even speaking the same language, you can mean something completely different. Like the word for underwear for English people is pants. And if I say, oh, I'm going to go buy new pants, it means something completely different to my English friends than it does to you. Like I need a fitting room for these pants. Right. That might be a little awkward in that scenario. Or, for instance, I told one of my friends, I was like, oh, yeah, I, um, my friend, you know, Zach was showing me was showing me his new pants and then my other friend was like why did you see zach in his pants you know and it was this big confusion (laughs) whereas for me it was just like he got jeans on he got new jeans Mm. yeah it's weird because learning spanish i made aware of all these little differences between say spain colombia mexico but as English speakers, we really don't know too many differences between us and Britain and us and Australia. I, I know a few differences, but for the most part, you know, it, I didn't know about the whole pants things until I met a British girl. Mm-hmm. 
And I think it's such a great culture shock, too, when you you have no idea. Because I think as Americans, we're notorious for just not knowing a lot of things about other countries. And when you go there and you're just submerged, like submerged in this thing and someone's talking at you with what you think, what you feel like is English, but you have, you're you so confused on to what's actually being said and everything can be misconstrued so quickly. Even within the U.S., though, we have like different terms. So my grandmother, she always said, what was it, uh, pop instead of soda. And this always kind of confused me. Uh, I think I had another grandmother who used the word tonic, you know, and you want a tonic? And... She was the only one that ever did that. I thought she was just kind of crazy. But then come to find out, that's actually a phrase people use. I think it's in the Midwest or something. I don't quite know where. But, like, we all use different phrases for this kind of stuff. And, like, it's, it's kind of weird like that. Mm. My grandmother used to say tonic. Um, now she says soda. Um, and I feel like soda is more East Coast and pop is more West Coast. Although they've kind of, it's kind of, I feel like the internet has really helped merge a lot of the terminology together so people now understand what what things mean a little bit better. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to find the answer. Like if if a person to answer the question is not readily available for you. I kind of wonder if, uh, thinking about pop, right, and maybe what led to that. And, you know, I can imagine like the can when you can, like, you know, when you pull the tab, it kind of pops. And we call it soda, so... There could be some possibility that, you know, we came up with soda before it was like a, you know, with a bottle and stuff. And then when the can came out and people got introduced to the soda that way, maybe they started calling it pop. Well, it used to be called soda pop. Oh, my God. So that's kind of that. So we just segregated them. And then tonic water is uh, is what they they would call like a, a, a water that had carbonation and usually other other additives. So that kind of is where tonic came from. Apparently I know the, the history of soda related. What's the, what's the word there? Like etymology or something like that. Etymology. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Like there's a lot of words that are, are in a link. There's a lot of words that are in our language, which we don't really realize where they come from. I mean, for instance, uh, there's the word enemy, right? And enemy sounds you know pretty, pretty, um, pretty easy. But if you think of the word, uh, amigo, you have another word in Spanish called enemigo. And enemigo, if you chop off the go, because, you know, Spanish people always have a go, or rather we just kind of chop off goes, you have enemy. So in a way, we have not only enemy in English and Spanish kind of coming from the same root, but also amigo in a way in, Span- in English. Is there a difference between, like, how a word became and then what a word has changed into, or is that all et- etymology? That that's all etymology as as far as I'm aware. It kind of shows like how words change and how they arrive from places. Like if the, that's the wrong word, if etymology is the wrong word, we're using it a hell of a lot to not know not know for sure. But it's gonna make this an amazing podcast. Well, I'm pretty sure it's the right word because uh, I remember reading this article about the word uh, azúcar, which is sugar in Spanish. This actually comes from Arabic, where it's azúcar, which is um, that's not. Very good Arabic pronunciation, but it's, it's that's the sugar. Now, when they're talking to Spanish people, you know, back in the day, uh, the Spanish people just kept it on there and you know just used azúcar and for this whole word. So it's azúcar, which sounds to a Muslim person or an Arabic person like the the sugar, which doesn't make much sense. In English, we cough the a uh, and the g got a bit softer or the uh, the kar. So instead of uh, sukar, it came sukar, sukar, sugar, sugar, sugar. It just got softer. 
and changed over time. Now, is that because the people who were saying it changed it over time? Or do you think that was because people were mishearing things and then their tongues were used to saying words a certain way? And that's how it kind of evolved that way. Like an epic game of telephone. Mm. I, th- I think it's that. Like a cross-cultural game of telephone where, you know, um, I know you talk about um, the Chinese and the Chinese language and ours um, and how they don't really have ours. It sounds more like an L. Right, right. It's it's, it's very fascinating. And also it's the same thing with uh, us and uh, not us. It's the same thing with Spanish people and B's and V's. So Spanish doesn't have a V. When they hear us say van, they hear ban. And they've actually done neurological studies on infants. And when people say ba or va, they see it as the same thing within the brain. Is that similar to um, if you see, so like some of my my Spanish friends on Facebook or whatnot, instead of saying ha ha ha, they have j-a-j-a-j-a, is that a part of that? Or is that just a part of like how they, their language says the sound ha ha? It's it's uh so in Spanish J is not like ja it's a it's a ha right so, like a justo mm-hmm. so it just kind of falls into ha, like the ha so sound. that's actually phonetic mm-hmm. yes Spanish is totally phonetic it's a phonetic language one like the few out there like how it looks is how it's said mm-hmm. with English no no just no how it looks is not how it's said. It's actually interesting looking at a lot of Spanish words because they'll often like take American words and they won't be spelled the same, but they'll spell them phonetically with their own language. Then sometimes they don't have sounds are within their language, so you might have like a different kind of uh, different word or different looking word. Uh, so for instance, there's uh, North American, which is w- what we call it, right? But they have Norte Americano. It's not North; it's Norte because there's no like no th sound except in spain and they use the say the th sound for like a for like a, the, the s's so they say gracias not gracias they go say gracias so they have a lisp yeah they have a lisp spanish lisp spanish 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 uh chelsea you were saying that you actually have some experience in another language um only only minimal but um when i was in bali i had to learn um, Balinese, I think. Well, Balinese is their lang- their religion, but I think it's also what they call their language, too. But it's a little bit separate from Indonesian. And um, Just to be clear, this is near Indonesia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Bali is an island that's relatively near Indonesia. It's not very, very close, but it's like our Hawaii kind of idea. Um, but it's related to Indonesia. Um, but a lot of people from India and from Indonesia have gone there, and they've created this really interesting like culmination of religion. So it's like a mix of Buddhism and Hinduism, which they call Balinese, and they've been able to melt that and create like this new religion out of it. Um, it's pretty interesting, and they have their own kind of language. Yeah, they have their own language, and I had to learn, you know, mostly. I had to learn how to say, like, thank you, no thank you, no, I can't have milk or soy or bread, um, and survive that way. But I was able to actually learn about their gods and their demigods and their language through that. So I was able to, like, have almost conversations with people who would invest the time in me. 
Interesting, interesting. Did most people understand you pretty well? Um, yeah, their language is a lot like Spanish. Um, it's very straightforward. The way that it's spelled is the way that it's said. So I could look at the language and be like, oh, okay, like, Dita Teramakasi is spelt Dita Teramakasi. And that means no thank you. That's that's pretty long for saying no thank you. <laughs> Dita Teramakasi? I thought you were ordering uh, Teramasu. <laughs> Dita Teramasu. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry, I hate terms. Wow, way to get political on us. <laughs> it kind of makes me think about German a little bit, because, or not even German, Japanese is a good one as well, where, like, we've all seen those Japanese movies where they uh, have this one little subtitle, it's like, no, or I can't do that, and their mouth won't stop moving for like 10 seconds. And it's like, does it really take that long to say that? I feel like there's so much subtext into the words that they say. It's so much more than just a simple no. It's just like acres and acres of like explanation. But to us, the only way that we can say it is no. A lot like the German language, actually. So you're saying that's more like uh, getting lost in translation, or bad translation might be more accurate. Yep, definitely. Well, I know with um, the culture around Japan, they don't like saying no. They don't like being put in a position where they have to say no, and a lot of times they won't say no. They'll um, pitch it in a way that means no, but it's not using that word. So uh, a lot of what I learned in when I was in college and we had like international business course was that um, you know before you go to a country, obviously like research a lot of their customs, especially in regards to negotiations and things like that, because if you go into a Japanese boardroom. And you start like making demands or um, like some cultures want to you will talk about like nothing for like minute for like 30 minutes an hour. You'll just like shoot the shit. But then other cultures like especially America, it's like you go into that room to make a deal and it's done like it's it's very cut and dry. It's business. You're there for business. But I'll, some cultures are the opposite. So you have to kind of know what you're getting into. And with language, if you kind of have to know what you're getting into when having a conversation with somebody because you don't want to offend them by making them have to say something that might not be culturally appropriate. That's pretty interesting because it kind of shows the language kind of reflects the way they kind of want to be perceived. Or it's, it's a very polite culture, you'd say, right? Yeah. I mean, from what you know. So the language kind of makes it very difficult to be very direct, maybe. I, this just reminds me of, uh, I think it's Polish and Russian. Uh, they did a, a study and they found that uh, I'm not going to be able to give you the criteria for rudeness, but they're trying to figure out what was the rudest kind of country. And I think it came out with Poland and Russia. And the reason is actually really interesting because it's not that the people are actually rude, but it's rather that they are very direct with their language. And they're perceived as rude. Um, I remember traveling with two Finnish boys. Sorry, not Finnish. Danish. Dutch? Danish? Or is that the same thing? Yeah, I, I think uh, Danish is a pastry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, That's... two Dutch boys. And they're really, really sweet, sweet boys. And they're very like nice and considerate. But they would do this thing. And they would be like, blah, blah, blah. So do you want to get food or what? <laughs> And I would be, like, up in arms every time. I'd be like, no, I don't want to get food if you're going to have that attitude but with I me. I did. Not anymore. Yeah, I will wait. So, but their language was just direct. It was like, so, do you want to get food? Or, like, do you want to do something else? Like, that's what he meant by it. But when it was conveyed in English, 
do you want to get food or what? And it's just so rude. But it wasn't rude to him. It was just the lost in, uh, lost in translation. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, actually in American English and even more British English. We are very uh, we're very polite when not not so polite as other languages, but we're also pretty polite. So it's like uh, if I ask something to Steve, I might say, "Hey, Steve, could you maybe please do this for me?" There's a lot of like, maybe please, can you do this for me? Like, like I'm not just saying, Steve, do this for me. It's, it's all this, like, filler in there just to make it polite. And if you are direct, like, you're perceived as being very rude. What's really interesting is that it also helps manipulate the outcome. Because if you, if I say, Nate, hand me that, you're probably less likely to do it than if I say, hey, could you please hand me that? You know what I mean? So, so I guess my point being that the way you say things and whether you're direct or not in different languages can cause different outcomes. Hmm. And do you think those different outcomes are dependent upon the culture, or are they dependent upon the actual language? Uh, the culture, the language, and the individual. So it's a it's a, a rainbow of things that work together. Right. Like a, a child, in, at least in, in the U.S., which is all I can really speak on, if you are very direct and demanding to a child, they see you as an authority figure, so they're more likely to do something than if you suggest... Hey, could you please maybe do that? They'll pro- they probably still will because children are just good people, but they're also slightly less likely to do it because they may ask questions or just not want to. But if you tell them to do it, they're more likely to actually do it up to a certain age. I was going to say, I don't know if that's always going to be true because I mean, like you have to be firm with like toddlers and stuff. In my experience working with kids, like if I demand things of them, it maybe they'll do it but they're gonna fight me if i talk with them and have a conversation i mean not that like please go do this and have a conversation about getting the coffee or the towel rather but it's gonna be a conversation about like hey let's talk about doing this thing do you mind doing that for me and it becomes more of a dialogue and i think they are more likely to help me out that way i think that's where the culture comes in because if you set the culture of every time one of us wants something done, we'll have a conversation about it, then that's what the child will expect to have every time. So if you stop doing that, they'll be confused and be less likely to actually follow. But if you set the pace as you, anytime you make a demand, it needs to be done, then I feel that they would be more likely to to do that. So it kind of falls under the culture in that sense that what they think is expected of them is more likely to to transpire if it's actually done in that manner. Although like you, the older they get, you know, that's, it's a lot easier for toddlers and much younger children um, because they're much more impressionable and blah, 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 long story short, the older they get, the more likely they are to buck authority. And then a conversation works much better. Mm -hmm. And that's of course, huge generalizations. (laughs) Massive. I'm thinking about like, so I'm a shift leader at work. So uh, I, kind of boss people around, but I'm very polite for the most part. But what I find is I moderate myself according to the situation and according to the people. So if someone is kind of just goofing off and they haven't done what I asked, I will be very direct with them, which is kind of obvious. But then if I like someone and want to kind of maintain like a kind of nice kind of little friendship or a nice little vibe going on, I will be super, super indirect. Like, I will be amazingly indirect. Like, I, I mean, this is just something that might need to be done. Oh, hey, like, I think the four might need to be done. 
not even even include them in the picture. Do you think that's because there's a certain amount of respect between the two of you, and so when you suggest the floor might need to get done, they're like, okay, yeah, I can take that on. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a respect or a bit of acknowledgement that we're both on the same page, and it's not even like they have to be told what to do. It's just they have to be made aware of it, and Mm -hmm. that's interesting because there's a lot being said, but very little. Mm. I I think a lot of that comes down to, to two things. One, leadership style, and two, being culture. So if the if the leadership uh, my preferred leadership style is to create a culture of teamwork because then anytime something needs to get done it's not one person's responsibility it's everybody's responsibility and then if it's if everybody is doing their part and especially with a leader if the leader is leading the way by doing their part and always working then it just becomes expected that everybody else works as long as you keep driving that forward so then you get your base group of people who are all following the same culture and then anybody new or anybody who's not quite buying into it has to buy into it right away because everybody else is because everybody else is doing or acting that same way it's just it it's natural and then you don't have to force then you don't have to necessarily outwardly be direct it's just ingrained in in everybody right it's kind of like societal pressure in a way or like um like surrounding them from the outside and kind of just going in instead of like going right at them. Right. And of course there's ethics involved in that, but as long as you're doing it with the aspect of everybody gains, if everybody works together, then most people are willing to buy onto that. And those who don't end up having to, or they're either released from their social pressures by being fired or whatever the situation is, or they're brought in because they have to be. Otherwise, they're not part of the group. Right. And, and of course, ethically, it's uh, all voluntary. They're choosing to be there. They're choosing to do whatever they want to do. And they're choosing to buy into that system as well. And just in a similar way, we kind of buy into our own kind of society, our own kind of culture. And it gets to the point where I think it's so ingrained on us, it's hard to kind of you know escape from it or kind of deculture ourselves. Like, uh, like Chelsea, you're talking about those uh, hot Danish guys, right? And did she say hot? I don't remember her saying hot. I feel like you're uh, adding to the story. I think you're imagining them as hot. Are you having a fantasy? Okay, those those hot Danish. uh, I'm I'm sure they're pretty tasty as well. (laughs) Yeah, you're really into the Danish boys. And Danish boys, hit us up WNTT1 at Twitter. (laughs) Nate is interested. So you were saying that they're very very direct, right? So let's say you move to Daneland. (laughs) Finland. <laughs> yeah. Let's say you move to Finland. What, 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 the, what, what the fuck is it called? Denmark? <laughs> Let's say you move to Daneland. <laughs> okay, let's say you move to... Let's say you move to Denmark, right? And let's say you kind of learn Danish and you start getting ingrained with the culture, you know, start kind of going with it. Do you feel like you could be direct like that? I feel like I would have no problem being very direct. But... <laughs> That's just my natural um, disposition, though, as a human being. Is I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm direct and naturally, but I feel like for other people it might be harder. And then I wonder, like, once you learn that language, you're inside of that. You have to literally learn how to talk like that to survive. Um, if you want to get your needs met, if you want to, you know, whatever, go to the train, catch the train, make sure you get a good bite to eat, make sure this isn't a food poisoning. Um, and Man, that got dark really fast. 
Like, you gotta catch the train or not die, you know? <laughs> Look, it can all happen at once out there. Yeah, I, I suppose if you say, like, you know, I think I might have food poisoning, but you say it in a way that's not very natural and it's very kind of awkward and weird, it might be like, why are you talking like that? Mm-hmm. And then the whole conversation is just like, why are you talking like that? Instead and then you're like, like no, that. I'm literally dying. <laughs> and... <laughs> Where do you come from? Where do you where do you, where do you learn this? I mean, what, what what are you doing? Um, but yeah, no, I think it'd be it'd be interesting if someone who learned this new language came back with this new directness in their native tongue, and so like they would look at somebody and be like, "So do you want to go get food or what?" And would they now be perceived as being very rude? I think that would be squashed very fast. You think so? Yes, because the. Whether it was a direct squashing of being like, dude, you're being a dick, or just not getting positive reactions from people, uh, I think that they would, because they're in this new culture, the culture would shape them very quickly. Mm-hmm. I feel like culture and how people perceive you and what people give off towards you, because it's a reflection of what you're giving off most of the time, it crea- it makes you change how you're acting, especially if you dislike the reactions that you're getting. Right, so you'll do anything to get a positive reaction out of somebody. So someone can tell you, like, oh, you should do this and this and this, and they might listen to you, but they, the, I feel like there's a higher chance that they won't follow that direction than if they firsthand go out into that culture and get negative reactions. That's going to change their minds much faster than somebody telling them this is the reaction you'll get. Mm-hmm. So you think it's better to, like, submerge in therapy? I think it's more effective to induce change, to have some, have a culture do it than to have somebody tell you to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's more effective to learn Spanish by living in, you know, Mexico or Spain than getting it taught by, uh, like, a teacher? Because it becomes necessity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. No, I feel the same way. Uh, it reminds me of one thing. Uh I've been told that the best way to learn a language is obviously kind of living in that place. And that the easiest way to remember stuff is to really embarrass yourself. So one example is uh, I was reading a story about someone who was eating chicken, you know, with uh, his, I think his Spanish girlfriend and his parents and stuff. And he was thinking, chicken, that's a, that's, that's a al pollo in Spanish. But we're not eating, like, uh, male chicken. We're eating uh, female chicken. So what I'm going to say is, uh, quiero más polla. Now he says this, and the whole family just erupts in laughter. They're, like, they're just, like, dying. And he's just like, what did I say? What did I say? What, 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 what was wrong with this? What, what? And then his girlfriend tells him, yeah, yeah, polla, that's slang for cock. I want, he was just saying, I want to eat more cock. <laughs> Was he a uh, cute Danish boy? Uh, let's, let's hope so. <laughs> Sorry. Hot. Hot Danish boy. But, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta imagine if that happens to you, you're never gonna forget that. And you're gonna learn that super easy. And this thing with culture, if you kind of mess up culturally somewhere, like, you're not gonna forget that. It's gonna be embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that's why I still remember my purse on the bench story. Because, like, I was thoroughly embarrassed. Do you ever get confused now? Like When I first came home, I had a really tough time um, 
because I was there for a year. So I was there for a year and was like completely submerged inside of like Australia in all of their nuances and their language and like everything different that they do and say. And when I came back home, I, w- I would say like Zed and I'd be like, Nar. And I would talk in the things that I learned because I had to learn them so quickly and use them every single day. And so it annoyed a lot of people, actually. It's funny how annoyed my friends, well, one, one, a couple friends in particular, they're like, no, this is so weird. So we're ever like, uh, oh, yeah, it's on the it's on the bench over there. And they're like, what do you mean, Chelsea? Mm-hmm. I would definitely do that. Or um, something that messes a lot of people up here, which is funny to me, if you're reading off a phone number. So if you're like, hey, it's like, uh, or whatever, if there's two numbers, it would, they would say double numbers. So it would be like two, one, two, double two, three, nine. And when I would say that here, people would be like, hold on. What? And they they like they would get confused when I'd be like triple seven, double two. You know, I wouldn't get. If someone said triple, so I say triple one because we have numbers at my work. So my number has three ones in it. That doesn't confuse anybody. But I think double one would just confuse everybody. Yeah, because they'd be like double. Wait, two of one. There's two ones. What? And it would be confusing. Yeah, yeah, I understand. Wait. Like, why don't you just say two if you mean if you're saying double one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, my phone number is just seven fives. <laughs> so your phone number is 45? <laughs> Checking that math, Steve. Checking that math. Um, the seven times five is 35, but you know, it's whatever. Oh, shit. <laughs> it might, it might be 45 in Daneland, though. <laughs> D- Daneland? Checking that map? Oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> There's a reason I'm the one who's an asshole on the show, Nate. <laughs> it's because when you do it, you're wrong. <laughs> The one time, the one time. The one time you're right, you're wrong. So, 100%. <laughs> so, 100% of the time. <laughs> it's 100% of the time I'm wrong, I'm wrong. <laughs> 50% of the time, it works every time. So, something interesting I was realizing, and I made an idiot of myself on the internet, which is fine, this is just what you do. But uh, there's a whole study of what they call linguistics, which is kind of like the science of language. And... I was reading a little bit about it, and it's, it's really interesting because it's they got it down to like a mathematical formula type stuff, and now all these flowcharts and these kind of giant kind of things where the study say this in this language and this language, and they have like logic and all this kind of stuff, and it's very very interesting. They can encapsulate all of language in these kind of flowcharts and uh, math scripts and whatever. Do they have infographs? I, I assume they do. That's awesome. I mean, infographs are like for everything. So do they have pivot charts and tables? I, I haven't seen any pivot charts, but that would be pretty fancy. You should start a pivot chart. I'm, I'm not really sure what a pivot chart is, but yeah, I... But, it, but I did one once, but I don't know what it is. Really? It, yeah. Does it does it pivot? It's an Excel thing that's, like, super advanced, but it's probably not that advanced. I do crazy Excel things every day. Just not pivot tables, because those are crazy. N- now it's a pivot table. But yeah, you, it's actually a pivot table. Do you, you excel on them? Like, you guys sound like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, I do not excel in them. You do not excel in them. I do not Microsoft excel in them. (laughs) 
Okay. I'm glad we're done with that PowerPoint. <laughs> Kill me. So, so, so. I'm I, still disgusted by that. I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay. I, I, th- I think the proper way to end this podcast would be to use language. I wouldn't disagree. This is an audio podcast. Now, now Chelsea, would you agree or disagree with that? <laughs> You're in a situation where if you disagree, you have to use language to disagree, right? So you would be agreeing with that, right? But if you agree, you also agree because you're using language. She's using sign language right now to stick it to Nate. <laughs> Fuck, you do know that. Oh, I think, I think I know that sign. <laughs> no, I, I agree. We should definitely use language. But <laughs> what, what kind of language would you like to use, Nate? Uh, we will use English. Good choice. <laughs> how, how, how about you guys both say something in the languages you know, like goodbye. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, go, we'll go around. Nos vemos. See you later. You know a different <laughs> language, you jerk. Like, I, I don't, don't know goodbye in another language. I forget. Okay, make one up. <laughs> no one's going to know. <laughs> say it in Dane. <laughs> say it in Danelish. Danelish. Okay, we need a better ending than that, Nate. Come on. Okay. okay. Oh, I'm good at transitions. My name's Nate. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. Uh, I think you guys should do impressions you, of one another. See, 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 this would be a great transition if you guys could follow through. Put it on you, Steve. If you guys could follow through, I don't. You're whispering all of a sudden. I don't understand. It's it's a great grammatic effect. Grammatic effect. <laughs> Grammatic effect. So, language definitely kind of has an influence on all of our lives and all of these kind of different facets. And it's, it's such a big topic because, you know, you have to dis- use language to discuss language, and that gets kind of meta. And it's really, really interesting. But, uh, Chelsea, do you have any closing thoughts on this? Um, I think that language can intimidate a lot of people. And I feel like we don't need to be intimidated by language because. With etymology, the root of everything is there is something that we all have in common with language. And if we can dig deep enough, we can find it. Um, Normally here, I would go into some really long monologue about how we should all work together. And uh, even if you have language barriers, you you can still communicate through various means. And the final point being that... We all, that the most important thing with language isn't necessarily what language you speak or, uh, or whether you speak other languages or anything like that. But the most important thing is that we understand each other and that we try and we continually try to work together to understand each other, be it different cultures, different languages, different ideas, different ideals, etc. Um, the most important thing with language is to use it to work together rather than use it to differentiate from each other. But I won't do that here today. Instead, what I'll do is just say, good job. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. This was, you ran the shit out of this podcast, Nate. Like, is that, is that like a good way or a bad way? Oh, it's lost in language. You know, I think this is something we're going to have to talk about. Use your language and give us some comments on Twitter at WNTT1. Also on Facebook at uh, We Need to Talk Show. Yep, yeah, We Need to Talk Show. Also, 
you know, if you if you want to give us a rating on iTunes, that's great. Or we're on Patreon, and you know, just, just, just get us. Also, stay tuned for some bloopers. Hey, Pepin. Yo, yo. I've been thinking a lot about um, like how we speak and the words that we use and how some people use different words and they have a completely different vocabulary. Really? Really? Is, is this talking about me? Are you talking about me? Wow. Way to be egotistical, Nathan. I was actually talking about like other countries have other words than I use. You know uh, what I mean? Like, Span, Sp- Spain has, like, another word for hello than me. Yeah, yeah. We might have to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, you were not driving us forward at all. And I definitely wasn't. <laughs> Both of you sound very unsure of what's happening right now.